I began to feel the dryness and feel sort of the, the emptiness of just needing more and more accomplishment, more and more success in ministry to, to sort of fill the void in my soul. Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthart, and our desire and our mission at Wellspring is to help people rediscover God's personal, extravagant, and generous love and the joy-filled and flourishing life that's offered to us by Jesus in the kingdom of God. In this podcast, we engage in thoughtful conversations about our inner life and the care of souls, ours and others. I'm excited about today's conversation because we got to talk with Howard Baker. Howard is on the faculty of Denver Seminary, started adjunct there in 95, and since 2006 has been an instructor in Christian formation. He also began the seminary certificate program, along with Bruce Demarest, in spiritual guidance. He's been on multiple boards, including the Spiritual Formation Alliance, and he offers spiritual direction and leads retreats, is currently the board chair for the Abbey Colorado, and on the faculty of the Soul Care Institute. Lots of credentials, but more than anything, I know you'll hear Howard's heart and his desire to not only authentically walk with God himself, but to lead and facilitate and invite others to do the same. Enjoy this conversation. Howard Baker, thank you so much for taking some time today uh, to, to have a conversation with us. And Good so, to be with you today. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so glad you are. Well, did you did you grow up in a family of faith, or what was your faith journey like a bit? Well, I grew up as an only child in uh, rural Arkansas uh, with uh, church-going parents uh, in a little uh, Disciples of Christ church uh, in the delta of Arkansas, a little town called Helena. And um, I think I experienced uh, in my growing up years, at least uh, the transcendence of God, that there was something different about church uh, from home and school and any any other place. And uh, that I sort of carried that with me uh, in, in my growing up years, although I really didn't form a personal relationship uh, with the Lord uh, until, until college uh, through uh, uh, my roommate, my potluck roommate, who took me to a Young Life Leadership uh, meeting, and I uh, was intrigued by all these people who I thought were were cool and having a lot of fun and sober at the same time. And uh, imagine that—that <laughs> that was not something I had seen before. So uh, <laughs> it it piqued my curiosity, and uh, so I. I stayed with it until uh, toward the end of that first semester, uh, I made the decision to, to start following Jesus and got involved with Young Life and, um, you know, pretty much majored in Young Life in college and felt a call to, to ministry and went to seminary and uh, stayed with Young Life for another 10 years as a area director and regional director. And of course, in, in the midst of that, got married and uh, uh, my wife was a great partner, uh, Janice, in uh, uh, in the Young Life work, and we had two kids. And uh, but what I think what happened for me, uh, so I, I I sort of came to faith in, and it was in the early '70s, so you know when I was in college. But that was a season when everyone had the cause, whether you were a Christian or not, uh, whether it was anti-war or whether it was you know civil rights and so if you were a christian your your cause was evangelism typically through you know what was what was then campus crusade what is now crew or, or young life or navigators or university uh, and so that was very formative for me and then i went to seminary and then it, and it, that just filled my mind with a lot of 
biblical theological truth, which was wonderful. I love that. And that was sort of the, the Christian culture that, that, that I was formed in and grew up in and started ministry in. And it, you know, you don't have to be, uh, you know, too keen to start to realize, well, there's not really very many resources for the soul in, uh, yeah. <laughs> if that's what if that's what you've got is you know the life of the mind and the life of activism and right so you have all this energy and passion that's when you think of activism just great passion for a cause like you said and so that was you and then jesus and maybe within the context of of jesus there's uh, other perhaps subsets of activism whether it's like you said race or poverty or justice or whatever that might be and then and then you become, in a, in a sense, an informed Jesus activist by uh, <laughs> by going to right. seminary. But yeah, you're saying that that. But your soul, what, were you? When did you start becoming aware? I guess I would say that yeah, there's a part of you that wasn't being fed or nourished well. When did that start to become, you know, more evident to you? I, I would say that the first shot over the bow was probably, you know, four, four years into full-time ministry after seminary, we had two little kids and, um, Janice, my wife, um, had, uh, ulcers and heart palpitations. And, uh, finally she, she came to me and just said, you know, I can't live like this. You know, if something doesn't change, you know, I'm out of here. And cause I was, I was working, you know, seven days, seven nights a week. It was, you know, and, and she was bearing the brunt of that with, you know, two little kids and, and, uh, and just a lot of uh, support of the ministry that I was doing. She was being, you know, the director of hospitality in our home and right. lots, lots of people coming and going and, and, uh, so she's saying, look, even if you're not burning out, I am. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that was the, that was sort of the first uh, awareness that, okay, I can't just live 24 seven on, you know, ministry. And uh, so I, I was, you know, I love my wife and I didn't, I didn't want her to leave. So I was, you know, I was smart. I was smart enough to change a few things outwardly, you know, in my schedule and, you know, kind of how I did the ministry, but internally I was still addicted to the activity, to the significance, to the success and the, you know, kind of the ego biscuits that you get for accomplishment in ministry. And uh, so that didn't go away for several years. I, you know, so I, in some ways it, I, it looked a lot better. <laughs> uh, in fact, when I finally got to a point of, it, there's gotta be more, uh, that mm -hmm. was, um, that was after, that was probably another six or seven years after that. And I began to feel the dryness and feel sort of the, the emptiness of just needing more and more accomplishment, more and more success in ministry to, to sort of fill the void in my soul. And so I, but I didn't have, even when I realized I need, I wanted more of God, all I knew to do was more of what I was doing, which is right. essentially the navigator wheel, which was study Bible more, pray more, more or better fellowship. And, uh, and that, that was kind of it. And, uh, right. So keep trying harder, keep, exactly. keep pressing on the same things. Yep.
this would have been, uh, I don't know, you know what, 80s maybe? Um, yeah, late 80s. Yeah, so it was about 80, 88, 89. And uh, by God's grace, uh, Brennan Manning, who was a, a former mm -hmm. Catholic priest at the time, spoke at our Young Life staff conference. And it was just this message of the unconditional love of God that, uh, of course, when I first started following Jesus, I, you know, I, I experienced that, but uh, it seemed like over time I had lost that experience of God's love, and I've lo I'd lost that sense of intimacy. I'd lost the sense of a personal friendship with Jesus, although I was telling kids about that every week, <laughs> mm. uh, but I wasn't experiencing it for myself. And then Brennan sort of just in listening to his talks, just reignited that hunger uh, to, you know, to, to know and love Jesus. And uh, so some friends, uh, for young life friends, and I, we, we heard that he did these silent retreats. And uh, so we approached him about that. And he said, well, I'm booked for a year, uh, but, you know, if you want to do it, something then. So we did. We booked him a year, a year out. In uh, January of 1990, I, uh, along with five other Young Life staff and myself, we had a four-day silent retreat, retreat with Brennan. And uh, okay, so I gotta pause you right there. So first okay. of all, one, I mean that's amazing, but I, I I love hearing that. So one, there's such a deep hunger, obviously, in you that like I almost hear desperation. There's I need something more and so I'm, I'm gonna okay if i have to book it a year out a year out but then i think perhaps people listening to this might think um four day silent retreat i i mean i i i might do harm to myself if i suddenly had to go do four days of silent retreat that did that feel like jumping off the deep end uh i mean had you ever done anything like that before oh i had not for sure and uh, I, I think you definitely uh, want to do it with, even though it's a silent retreat, you know, I was with friends and, and we had a spiritual director. So uh, I, I wouldn't advise just going off by yourself, you know, for a four day silent retreat, if it's not something you haven't done before. Right. It could, <laughs> but what was yeah. that like? What was that experience like? Well, it took me about a day and a half to stop telling God what God needed to do in my mm. life. Mm. And uh, so finally, when I ran out of things to, to say, I, I was able to begin to listen. And, uh, and Brennan would give us stuff to pray with and meditate on. And, uh, uh, you know, at one point he, he told me, you know, just go back to your room and imagine Jesus knocking at the door and you just, and say, come in and, and see what happens. And I was very skeptical. I was nowhere close to being mystic or had any sort of mystical leanings. And that just sounded like sort of a outrageous exercise. And I thought, well, I could tell I could have Jesus do or say whatever I want him to. And, uh, but I'm also dutiful. So I, I, followed, <laughs> I followed Brennan's instructions and, uh, and I had a profound uh, experience with Jesus really second only to my initial conversion. Uh, wow. In fact, I, I call it my second conversion. Uh, wow. It was, you know, I just heard very clearly you know, from Jesus that, uh, you know, I just needed to, you know, return to my first love and mm. to, and that, you know, that I, the clear word that he said to me was, you know, you work so hard for me, but you've lost me in the process. And, uh, and the, the scripture that just burned into my soul you know, that, that day was, I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. And wow. that, uh, that just totally set me free from, 
my addiction to ministry, my idolatry uh, of ministry. Uh, I mean, it was, in, in a way, it was kind of a, a Saul to Paul experience. And, wow. Um, well, uh, I wonder, Howard, how many people even listening to this right now, perhaps, need to hear that from Jesus, right? You know, so many people, so many of us that in ministry or not in ministry, just that in faithful to Jesus and in their lives and in church and whatever they're doing. And yet we can become almost like his employees, like you said, or I don't call you servant, I call you friend. And, and so Jesus was inviting you into, to discover, rediscover a friendship, uh, an intimate soulish friendship with him right and how did right. that how did you walk begin to walk that out after that that just dramatic encounter um uh, well you know it was it was all very natural you know at first i mean the scriptures just were came alive so richly and like conversation with jesus was uh so very real so it was it was almost like you know uh starting a new dating relationship or something you know it was just you know just the level of excitement and freshness and uh yeah enthusiasm for that i i i couldn't i couldn't read enough i couldn't you know be with him enough mm. um and it really was just you know two or three weeks after the retreat, uh, I, I heard the only time I've had a clear word from the Lord in terms of direction, uh, I heard the Lord say, it's time to leave young life. And uh, that was somewhat shocking because I loved young life. It was my, literally it was my church. It was my family. It was my work, my ministry, uh, my friends. And, and I, I loved it. And, uh, but I think what the, you know, the Lord knew that I, I didn't was, uh, you know, staying in, in young life would have been like an alcoholic staying in a bar trying to get sober. Hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, it was no, no fault of young life, but the way I did young life, you know, had produced this compulsion and addiction in me that the only way the lord could sort of heal me and restore me was for me to to get out so uh we ended up uh, moving to denver uh, uh ended up taking a job uh through a friend at the the homeless shelter the denver rescue mission as a chaplain there i was at home with my family kind of for the first time in our married life and uh, i literally didn't know what to do with myself uh, huh. and i had to learn you know kind of to to just be and to uh, uh to be myself without a role uh without the young life uniform so to speak and uh and that was really a big challenge and and learning to be a husband and a, and a dad, uh, and to, to come alive emotionally, because I think my addiction to ministry had really truncated all of those other relationships. And, uh, well, and so that's, it, and that seems to be Howard, as I talk to so many, and I've seen it in my own life, uh, that as much as many perhaps listening might say, well, that's, I'm not defined by that role or I or I know in my head that I'm more than just whatever that role is, whether it's a ministry vocation or uh, something else. But yet I, I found this myself in this last year and making a transition from a pastoral role to my role here at Wellspring. And I thought I had I thought I was aware enough, so to speak, that I didn't. But no, I, when something is stripped away, suddenly we didn't we begin to be faced with, well, what? how do I see myself? What am I if I'm not that? So it's hard, but a, but a gift sounds like for you in that season. 
Oh, very much, very much a gift. And, and I, I, I actually just read the other day uh, an essay by uh, the poet, uh, Mary Oliver. And uh, she was talking about our three selves. And, and the one is the self, our childlike self that, you know, we never really leave, it stays with us. But then for most of us, the, the second self is the, the dominating self, which is she calls the, the self that is the, the servant of the hours of the day, of the task and responsibilities and uh, the work. And that we just, we end up almost being a slave to time and to our obligations and responsibilities. And, and that the third self is that spiritual self, that creative self, uh, I guess some would say in, in a way, the true self, the core self that is beloved by God and uh, is unique and creative uh, and that, but often doesn't have much opportunity to get expressed <laughs> mm. or to live. Yeah. And, but that was, that was very, just reading that was very confirming oh, to me about good. just about my own journey. And I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, I, I was about 40 when I think I began to at least began to discover that third self or that spiritual self yeah. uh, that God, God had, you know, really created me to be. Well, so, so you're there in Denver and you're a chaplain, you're rediscovering yourself. How do, how do you end up, how do you end up at uh, Denver Seminary then? Well, I, I, um, shortly after we moved here, we, I stumbled upon um, a Catholic seminary that offered a program in, in, spiritual direction and because of Brennan I was familiar with spiritual direction and I, I told Janice that okay I think this is why we're in Denver it's for me to be get this training in spiritual direction and and so that's I, before this has really kind of caught on in in uh, the white evangelical circles I'm assuming oh yeah it was 1990 so yeah. I, I don't think I don't think evangelicals could spell spiritual direction. Right? So. As you've been doing this work for, you know, some time now, um, and it's, and it's become more, you know, in the, even in the evangelical church, uh, spiritual formation, uh, it, it's become in general, less of a, a, a scary word and more embraced uh, spiritual direction. Some of the contemplative practices and so on are becoming more familiar. And yet, what do you, what I'm curious what you're seeing in, in, you know, over the course of these years, even as the evangelical church, uh, or, or some within it, at least, uh, are engaging in discovering perhaps this life with God or this way of life with God. Um, what are you seeing as, as the fruit of that, um, uh, in, uh, in the lives of leadership? How do you, how are you seeing that because you get to work with in seminary either present or future leaders uh, in the church, what do you, what is what is you, what are you seeing that kind of trajectory look like over these years? Yeah, that's a, a great question. It, it it appeared to me at least that most of what the Holy Spirit was uh, was doing was kind of this bubbling up from the, the ground up of congregations, of, you know, small groups, of, uh, you know, organizations like Renovare, uh, you know, different um, retreat centers, um, different expressions of renewal. Uh, and, And so you had you had these uh, little springs that were mm. sprouting up, springs of life uh, all over the place, uh, and I you know we 
definitely saw that here here in in Denver. Um, but what seemed to be missing a, a bit was it didn't seem to be reaching the the level of leadership. Hmm. Um, and and so uh, a group of some of our graduates uh, and some colleagues uh, here uh, from the seminary, we entered into a discernment process for uh, six months or so asking the Lord just to show us, well, how can we, how can we push spiritual formation more out into the community and particularly more among leaders in the community? And, uh, and around that same time, I, I met, you know, Patty and Terry, uh, who, who you work with, uh, with Wellspring and, and, uh, soul care. And, uh, so what, you know, what, Wellspring and Soul Care were up to was exactly what we were seeing the need for here in Denver uh, to sort of uh, connect the dots between pastors and leaders and and kind of what the Holy Spirit was bubbling up uh, among God's people. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and so. Uh, the opportunity because of um, Patty and Terry's graciousness to, to sort of mentor us and share the curriculum of, of soul care with us uh, that we, you know, we started our own version. We call it the Praxis and uh, we are, we'll be starting our third cohort in September. And it, it has been the most uh, uh, enriching and fulfilling uh, transformational uh, in experience that I've been a part of uh, mm. in, in, in my in my life and wow. uh, it's just been uh, remarkable to see uh, you know God at work now at, at the at the levels of, of leadership and yeah. uh, and having pastors and leaders begin to ask the questions, you know, yeah, how can I draw my congregation into a transformational journey into the life of, of discipleship to Jesus? And uh, so it's, it's been, it's been remarkable just to see God work in uh, the lives of these pastors and leaders. In case you're listening to this and don't know what soul care or praxis is specifically, I'll just take a second. It's a, a nine-month uh, cohort. We take about here in Bay Area about, uh, about 30 pastors, ministry leaders, and, and it's a nine-month um, experiential and learning community uh, around rhythms, practices, and teaching um, of of entering into what is you know, God's abundant love and grace um, draws from a lot of different streams, Ignatian and folks like Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and others. It's uh, and so that's that's what we're referring to. If you're if you're hearing that and aren't uh, aren't familiar, and uh, if you're a pastor or ministry leader in either Denver or in the Bay Area and you're interested in it, please definitely reach out to us and we'd love to please talk to you about it. But Howard, I'm curious because now you've been working with pastors and both present and future pastors and um, how have you seen the demands on um, Expect and expectations of of pastors and ministry leaders and even nonprofit leaders. How have you seen how have you seen that um, change and evolve over the over the last I don't know decade or so? I think the the demands uh, certainly have ramped up uh, even before 
the pandemic. Uh, mm. And I think it's, it's a re direct result of what, you know, our friend Dallas Willard uh, described as, as non-discipleship Christianity. Mm. Uh, so when you, when you're a leader or a pastor and the majority of the people in your group are not intentionally living a life of a disciple to Jesus, then the burden of leadership is extremely heavy uh, because you're, you're trying to push and pull people uh, to places they aren't necessarily interested in going on their own. And, mm. and so that becomes, you know, that, that heavy burden uh, on, on pastors and leaders that, frankly, Jesus said he came to relieve us of. <laughs> yeah. Um, but our structures and our systems are, are not really set up for the easy yoke uh, that Jesus invites us into, uh, because so often they're, they're set up based on a model, a business model of, of success and, you know, more numbers, you know, more dollars, um, you know, more buildings. And, uh, and that's incredibly burdensome uh, on the soul of a leader, even, even leaders who that's not, uh, that's not even their values, but right. uh, they're, they're part of a, you know, a, a system and a culture that that's the expectation. And um, so, you know, one, on one hand, I see, you know, younger, you know, people, students here at the seminary that they see all of that and it's very uh, uninviting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and one of the, one of the common terms we're hearing these days uh, and these, you know, strongly evangelical school that we are, but many students are going through a, a sort of a deconstruction stage in their faith. And I, I wouldn't say in their like Christian faith, but more so in their evangelical faith, just because of, you know, what does it mean to be evangelical? Yeah. Um, and for younger people, that is not a, an attractive term anymore. And uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's really true. Uh, and I, you know, and unfortunately, it seems like, uh, you know, probably at, at, at a first level, it's become from for many in our culture synonymous with a, a political persuasion or leaning. And um, a friend of mine said it this way, it's like, a, it's like, if you check one thing, then it's autofill down the rest of the form right so if i say if you say evangelical it suddenly people have autofilled that to mean a whole bunch of other things that you may not have embrace at all but so that i the labels themselves become so tricky so you as you say the pressure and the weight of um of ministry and of uh pastors is is become heavy and, and difficult what 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 are you seeing as as helping you know, uh, these leaders connect to that, that deep and intimate life with God, that, that, that experience that you talked about that he, Jesus set you on that journey all those years ago. Um, what kinds of things are you seeing, um, that are helping, uh, helping people to, you know, even specific practices or ways of, of, of being that are, uh, helping them reset or recenter their souls with Jesus. Yeah, I. Uh, one of the things, particularly for, you know, pastors and and uh, leaders who end up being somewhat isolated uh, as a result of being a leader, and. Uh, one of the most powerful things, and I, I don't mean to, and it's not limited to soul care or the praxis, it can happen in other domains, but, you know, just for pastors to be able to get together in a non-competitive, non, 
comparative environment and share their journey and share their stories and, and talk about their life uh, in a safe and supportive environment. Uh, you know, that is, I think, so crucial because even, even pursuing spiritual formation in an isolated fashion is not healthy. Uh, doesn't lead right. to whole life health. Uh, right. That's that's super helpful, Howard. In fact, I just yeah, I want to just pause there for a second because I know that sometimes one of the accusations that people level against contemplative uh, disciplines or practices is I you know you hear like navel gazing or just you know lost in yourself and and yet that it's it's never really been the way that it's these things are engaged in in a, in a healthy way, right? It, it's it's always meant to be communal. And Jesus was and modeled that, of course, right? A communal life right. with his disciples. And, and I, I would just offer, I think if, again, those listening, if, if you're not in some sort of community, and if you're, especially if you're a pastor or a leader, if, you know, if you're not in one like a soul care or, a, or the practice that, but get with a, 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 somebody a peer or two or three or whatever, where you're not going to, and maybe intentionally, you're not going to compare and, you know, and uh, set yourselves up for that whole, my ministry is this or does that or, you know, that that's just such a setup. And that's what we seem to tend to do instinctively. I know for me and, and almost any ministry conference I ever went to, you know, what church are you from? How big is it? And, you know, and then we gauge that person's importance or value and, and so, oh well they're worth talking to or not and whether we say it or not out loud that's inside and what if, what if we could just yeah talk to each other at a different in a different way um engage that seems so critical we can't do it alone so so right. community that's not about getting the latest idea or measuring yourself against somebody or somebody else's ministry that's huge yeah. that's good what what else would you what else have you found that's that's life-giving and um, helpful to people to tend to their soul? There's, uh, of course, I, you know, my, my friend uh, Phil Anderson uses the illustration of, uh, you know, everybody needs to brush their teeth, but you probably don't want to use my toothbrush. Uh, <laughs> And in, in some ways, you know, this taking care of our soul is taking care of ourselves is, is sort of like brushing, your, brushing our teeth. And in general, everyone is for it. Uh, but the reality is it, it, it requires some intelligent and creative work to to discover what are the life-giving paths and practices uh, and disciplines that actually accomplish that, you know, for each person. And what I do, you know, my toothbrush probably won't work for you. Um, and so, uh, and, and sometimes it's really helpful to, to be in conversation with a spiritual director or a pastor or a coach that can sort of help help you discover yeah what what is it my soul needs what is life giving for me um and it it surprisingly many of those activities are pro, are not all going to be religious sounding yeah so it may it may be taking a walk uh, walking your dog it may be other forms of physical exercise. It may be some form of art or artistic expression uh, that really, when you do it, you connect with God in a wonderful, close and intimate way. So that's the kinds, the kinds of questions we need to be asking or, you know, what is life giving for me? How do I, what are the ways in which I connect deeply with God? you know, not because my pastor does it or because, you know, some book I read suggests it, but 
Uh, no, for me, what 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 really works, you know, for me to draw me more deeply into communion and union uh, with Jesus, and uh, and of course, there's uh, I don't you know there's there's some wonderful resources out there of Adele Calhoun's you know spiritual disciplines handbook you know has you know more suggestions than you could do in a lifetime and sure uh, <laughs> kind of intimidating so, actually <laughs> exactly and, and, but that's the thing i mean you know it's like it's not like uh these are oughts and right. uh it's 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 not an assignment it's yeah. discovering it's discovering our desires and discovering what delights us and that's and, so good I, I really love that, Howard. I love that um, that because part of what you're describing is I think this invitation to to pay attention. I think it was uh, Frederick Beekner that that used that phrase, "Listen to your life." And I think it's also a book book title too uh, from Parker Palmer. But um, but listening to paying attention, you know, noticing that's so easy in the busyness of the time in which we live that. To just uh, uh, sort of step back and and notice what is what is life giving and what is life draining? What is it that gives uh, joy and and fullness and and points us towards God? And what is it that pulls us away? I think just noticing. I think that's so good. And I think what you said too about we sometimes put certain things in certain categories. Well, like taking a walk or um, you know. I don't know, watching a movie with my spouse that, that, you know, these are, these are, can be life-giving things or, or it may not for you, but just noticing right. that's so good. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I tell my, I tell my students and uh, you know, of course, you know, our, our listeners are just listening. They don't get to see us, but you know, I, I talk to my students about uh, broccoli motivation or brownie motivation and uh and if they looked at us, they would see that I have brownie motivation and you have broccoli motivation. No, no. You, 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 eat, you, eat, you eat broccoli because it's good for you. You eat brownies because they're good. Right. And so when we're looking at spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, uh, it's important to have brownie motivation to, mm. you know, that no, this practice really tastes good to me. Um, mm. it's, it's something that I look forward to. It's something I want to do. Uh, it's, it's just, it's good. Now there's always going to be a few practices that, you know, that we need broccoli motivation and, uh, because we just know it's good for us. So an extrovert will need to do solitude out of a broccoli motivation, not because, they really want to but because they know they need it <laughs> yeah and eventually eventually it will grow into something that is uh delightful and delicious to them that's such a good image i love that and i think that for many people hearing this that might even surprise them to think that God might have something besides a broccoli motivation for them. I mean, for me growing up in church, I just assumed pretty much the spiritual life was full of broccoli and that, that's what it was going to always be, but it was good for me. And, you know, it's kind of like if I'd eat broccoli and live to a hundred and do I, you know, do I want to live that long if I have to only eat broccoli? <laughs> so oh, exactly. I think that's so good. I, I, and that God might have uh joy in it for us and uh, that that oh man now you're making me hungry thinking about a brownie but well Howard, i want to ask you this i love to ask uh our guests this as you you know we're coming out of this pandemic we hopefully coming out of it we're um you know i every pastor it seems like is in a reset mode and and the church itself is in a, a, a time of, I think, reset and refiguring out who we are. And um, what do you, what, what, as you look around and as you talk to people, what is, where are you finding reasons for hope? Where, what is giving you hope about 
uh, the future and um, and where God is is leading us along. I don't know that I have much of that's profound to say on the uh, on on this topic, uh, but the pastors I've talked to uh, almost exclusively have experienced this um, this division within their congregations almost right down the middle uh, whether it's political whether it it's you know mask or not mask or vaccinate or not vax i mean yeah. it's just uh it, it's it's almost like there's this new permission uh to disagree with each other you know to to be adversarial and on the one hand i you know that's very unpleasant and very disturbing um on the other hand i i guess the hope for me is that it actually has exposed something Mm. um in that was under the surface uh that in a way was you know maybe even worse than a virus maybe it was more like a cancer uh you know growing undetected uh this subtle identity apart from christ that that uh, that our identity is more in our ideology than it is in jesus it's in our it's in our politics uh it's, it's in a, in the way we engage culture uh whether we're conservative or progressive um and it, it's a, one one pastor here locally said the 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 most sort of disorienting re, you know discovery for him was that so many of his people simply had a jesus veneer over their ideology that really drove them and it was their ideology that was driving them not not jesus not their faith and oh, and this was wow. a church that was <clears throat> you know leadership is committed to transformation and hmm. uh so it, it was uh so i long answer to simply say my hope is the fact that okay this issue has gotten exposed that even in the church you know we, we're existing you know in different tribes yeah. with, with, within the church and are we going to detach from our tribalism and our ideologies and attach to jesus and truly be disciples of Jesus together. Uh, and so I guess my hope is that there'll be a significant number of people that will say, yeah, that would be a better life than yeah. what we have right now. Mm. Uh, to have unity, to have com community, to have, uh, a sense of belonging that's rooted in eternity <laughs> rooted in the trinity uh that that we where that can hold the differences that we have but our yeah. foundational that our foundational identity is our belongingness to christ in the church uh that that's larger than whether you know i'm a red state or a blue state or progressive or conservative or whatever yeah that might be so good so good that it actually just brings to mind you know jesus own band of followers which would exactly contain such radically different i mean honestly people that would have been not just at odds over words probably would have come to blows or even violence to one another um based on their 
different tribes, if you will, or differences of, of views from a zealot to a tax collector. And yet, and yet they found their unity in Jesus, not by displacing differences, but by finding a greater loyalty and a greater love that, that transcended those. And I, I just hear in, in, in your words there, there's this invitation and, and there's been an exposure, like you said, these things have been brought out, but we can't heal what we can't name. Right. And so we have to start right. by seeing and exposing what is, what is, like you said, been there, but then, but then Jesus calling us to, to a, a deeper allegiance and love and loyalty to him. Um, I've heard it said recently that, you know, I, it, Jesus is going to cut across any ideology. And if we're not willing to let him challenge our personal ideologies or loyalties, or we assume that, or I think it was Anne Lamott who said, you know, it, it may turn out that I've reinvented God in my own image if God hates all the same people I do. And <laughs> right. uh, I think there's just some wisdom there. Um, well, Howard, I, I'm so grateful for the, for the time that you've uh, offered us today. And um, yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm so excited for the partnership that Wellspring has with uh, the Praxis. We can't wait to, to hang out with your leadership team again. It's been too long, but um, we're, uh, we're just so grateful for the, the work that is happening there. And, and, uh, and I'm just grateful to hear your own journey uh, of how God is. Uh, I, I just love that, how he met you in, uh, in such an unexpected and powerful way. And, so thank you. Thanks for giving this time uh, to our listeners today. Well, it's been my, my pleasure. And uh, I am so confident that uh, God, God will meet, God is faithful to meet each of us as we just gently turn our face toward him. And uh, so I, I encourage all of our listeners to uh, continue to do that. It's a good word. And we'll end with that. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them go to our Facebook page. Just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.